John chapter 1 and verse 31. John chapter 1 and verse 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Now, we may assume that John the Baptist knew from an early age that his cousin, Mary's firstborn son, was indeed the Messiah. Because this had been revealed to John the Baptist's parents. Nevertheless, John grew up in Judea whilst Jesus lived in Galilee. So John and the Lord would never have met prior to the time of the Lord's baptism. And so there was no prior collusion or conference between them. And John himself did not know the Lord by sight but only came to know him by sight as the promised Messiah by direct revelation from God the Father. And this occurred on the day when Jesus came to John to be baptised. Verse 32 And John bare record saying I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. So God blessed John with a predetermined sign that the one on whom he saw the Spirit descending in the form of a dove would in fact be the promised Messiah. The Holy Spirit, of course, cannot be seen. But at the Lord's baptism, John saw a miraculous dove-like form, which he knew, beyond any doubt, was God's representation to him of the descending spirit. He also heard God himself speak from his heavenly throne saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and so John says in verse 33 here and I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Again here, John tells us that he had not previously met with the Lord Jesus or conferred with him. We learn here that John's baptizing with water was to make known to Israel 
that the promised Redeemer, the son of David, had now indeed come and that he would wash men clean, but not with water, but through him whom the water symbolised, namely the Holy Spirit working in the heart. We must understand that. The water of John's baptism was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. John's message of repentance then was to point men to a saviour who cleanses the sinner's heart and makes him new within. And so Paul says in Titus 3 and verse 4, Titus 3 verse 4, the kindness and love of God our saviour toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so the new birth, the reception of the Holy Spirit, is there described by Paul as the washing of regeneration. So to become a Christian is to be inwardly washed. It is to receive a new heart which now loves holiness and hates sin. But all, until they are born again, have a wicked heart, as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us. The Lord Jesus Christ is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. He who cleanses the heart. He who alone can remove the corruption which resides in every human heart. Well, John the Baptist says of the Lord here in verse 34 and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God by direct personal revelation of God the Father John the Lord's prophet can declare that this Jesus is indeed the Messiah And is very God manifest in the flesh. This man is not just Joseph's son from Nazareth. But he is in fact the one who existed with the father before the world was created. He is Israel's promised deliverer. He of whom all the prophets down the centuries have spoken. He who as the Son of God shares the Father's perfect divine nature. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal creator God. He is not just a man who went about doing good. He was fully human, but he is also the eternal creator God. And this is why Christianity and Islam can never be reconciled. Because one of the first things that any Muslim will say to us is Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not divine. But to deny the Son's true nature is to deny the Father himself. Deny Jesus Christ for who he really is and you are denying God himself. And therefore we have to respectfully declare that Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. It's impossible. Verse 35. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. So John stands and takes up his customary place on the banks of the river Jordan. To preach God's truth. Two of his disciples are with him. These will be men who have already heeded his message of repentance who have been baptised and who are awaiting the appearing of the Messiah. Now we know from verse 40 that Andrew is one of these two disciples. The other may be the John who is writing this gospel. For it was his practice when doing his writing, not to refer to his own name. Now these two men were probably present the day before when John had pointed to the Lord and declared, as we read in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We can assume that those words would have had a great effect upon them. That they had been thinking deeply about them. Verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So John again sees the Lord walking by. John the Baptist sees the Lord walking by. And he repeats those crucial words which designate our Lord's status as Saviour, the Lamb of God. And this is a messianic title. Now many might not associate such a term with the Messiah. Because the Jews were expecting a conquering king who would remove the Romans, not a gentle lamb. The two disciples of John, however, know that the title 
Lamb of God has messianic significance. It speaks of the forgiveness of sins by means of the shedding of blood. After all, in the temple at Jerusalem, a lamb was offered up every morning and evening of every single day. A sacrificial lamb also speaks of purity, being without blemish and without sin. Today there can be no understanding of who Jesus Christ is apart from his role as the Lamb of God. The Father's appointed sacrifice, the sin-bearer of mankind, he who suffered on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. Now many people want a Jesus who is a woke social justice warrior. But that is not the Jesus of the scriptures. The Jesus of the scriptures is the Lamb of God who shed his blood for sinners. And society will only improve as people repent of sin And trust in the saviour who shed his blood. Society will never improve. If it endeavours to improve itself by bypassing individual conversion through faith in Christ. And that is why the social gospel is a downright satanic heresy. So we are not preaching one world togetherness. We are preaching Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. Verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Now John had told his disciples that he was merely preparing the way for one far greater than he. One whose coming would have significance for the whole world. The two disciples have just been told that this coming great one is now passing right by them. They feel a deep inner compulsion to go up to him and speak to him. The Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. Drawing them to the Saviour. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following. And saith unto them, what seek ye? So the Lord Jesus sees the two disciples of John following him. He turns around and asks them, why are you following me? Not because he does not know, but to solicit from them an expression of serious spiritual concern. For these two men are seeking to know him 
to whom all the prophets have pointed over the last 4,000 years since the world was first created. So we further read in verse 38 here. They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Now we have an indication here that the Apostle John is writing primarily for Gentiles. Those who would not understand what the word rabbi means. We see that John the Baptist's two disciples address the Lord with deference as an honoured teacher, rabbi. They ask him where his lodgings are because they desire to enter into conversation with him. They are beginning to realise that this man before them is the one who can teach them all things. And they have a desire to be taught. And no non-believer today will find God unless he humbly acknowledges that he needs to be taught. If someone approaches the Christian faith laying down all their objections to it with a proud heart, they will not find God. Now the Lord says to these two men in verse 39, Come and see. So the Lord willingly responds to their desire to speak with him. The Greek is literally, come and you shall see. Not only will they see where the Lord resides, but they will learn and see on a spiritual level. And what grace, concern and condescension the Lord exhibits by these three little words. Come and see. He invites them to his humble borrowed abode that he might tell them of himself. His words, come and see, encapsulate his welcoming nature to all earnest seekers after him today. He is saying to every non-believer who is willing to seek him, come and see, come and eat with me, and I will give you food which endures unto everlasting life. Unlike the great multitude which would seek the Lord on a subsequent occasion, following the miracle with the five loaves and two fishes, the Lord knows that Andrew and John here are seeking him, not for earthly food, but for sustenance for their souls. Our Lord did not have to say to Andrew and John, what he would have to say to that multitude in John 6 verse 27 
Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Note the use of the word labour there in John six twenty seven. Andrew and John are seeking to learn of the Lord as a matter of urgency. They are giving themselves completely to it. And so must every non-Christian today. And Andrew and John had been made to appreciate the urgency of coming to Christ by the preaching of John. Who spoke plainly about sin and repentance. Every non-Christian today must be urgent and earnest if they wish ever to find God. They must seek him. The obligation is upon the non-believer to seek God. God has already taken the initiative by drawing men, by giving them many evidences of his truth. So the obligation is upon each non-Christian to seek God with urgency. To labour for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Now in John 6 verse 37 the Lord says this, this wonderful promise. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Lord Jesus will turn none away who come to him with humble and repentant hearts. He is ready and willing to forgive and grant his mercy. Because the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there is none excluded, no matter what evil they might have done. And so as Christians, we can never look down on others because of their wicked past, because all of us has a wicked past. And so the Lord Jesus Christ with outstretched arms, says to men, as we read in verse 39 here, come and see. The onus is on you. Come and see. Because as we read in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, God says, ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So instead of complaining to God that he has not done this or that, or that he allows too much suffering, instead of complaining to God, the non-believer must humble himself and seek God. 
And it is no use the non-Christian complaining that God has not spoken to him. Because he has spoken to all men through the creation, through men's consciences, through men's circumstances, and supremely through the gospel. It is man who has not listened. And it is man who must now resolve to listen. Seeking after God as a matter of the greatest urgency. The Lord has promised that the earnest, humble seeker will not fail to find him. So let no one imagine that they can be casual and relaxed in seeking God and still expect to find him. And so there can be nothing casual or relaxed about Christian evangelism. And indeed there can be nothing casual or relaxed about Christian worship. Because we are dealing with the most urgent matter of all. Approaching the Holy God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Hebrews 11 6. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There can be no finding God unless there is first an abandonment of human pride and a recognition that man is not his own master. There must be an abandonment of the prevailing philosophies of our time because they are anti-Christian. Men must approach God as a mere creature, approaching one infinitely greater than himself. Now by the gift of common grace to undeserving sinful men, God has placed a conscience within men. And that conscience tells him that he cannot sin with impunity. And that God is watching over him. Unless of course he has already suppressed his conscience so that it no longer works properly. By a love of the world. And a deliberate resistance of God's drawing. God rewards those who diligently seek him. But there must first be the diligent seeking. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. God is good. But the responsibility is upon the non-Christian to do the seeking and find that out. 
Truth is not just going to land in a person's lap. He has to seek God earnestly. And that's why we go into the highways and byways to encourage men to seek God. Now we read of the two disciples here in verse 39. They came and saw where Jesus dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Now John is probably using the Roman method of computing time. So this means that the disciples reached the Lord's lodgings at around 10am. Which gives them the rest of the day to engage in precious dialogue with the Lord Jesus Christ. That the exact time is known when they reach the place where the Lord is staying, adds weight to the view that it is in fact the Apostle John who accompanies Andrew here. So John and Andrew have this time in the Lord's company, earnestly inquiring about the things of God. And what a precious life-transforming few hours that would be. So we see these two disciples of John the Baptist giving themselves urgently to the task of knowing Christ. John was the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But Andrew and the other John leave his side now to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the prophets prepare the way for Christ. And that is why our Jewish friends must come to Christ. John 1 verse 27. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. John was a mere man, a great man, but a mere man, a mere sinner saved by grace. But Christ is the eternal God manifest in the flesh. There is no great man, no wise philosopher. No honoured prophet whom men should follow. They must follow Jesus Christ or else be lost. Acts 17 verse 26. Acts 17 26. Paul says, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him. And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And so there, Paul explains that God has put people on this earth precisely for the purpose of seeking him. So if someone is not seeking God, they are denying the purpose for which they were created. We have this encouragement. He is not far from every one of us. It is not difficult to find God. He is near. 
in terms of his willingness to come to men and save them, he is near. In another sense, in terms of man's sin and rebellion, he is far off and there's a barrier. But in terms of men being encouraged to seek God, he is near. It's not difficult to find God if men are willing earnestly to seek him. But there must be diligence, there must be effort. You have to labour for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. There is nothing more serious for a man to do than seek Almighty God through faith in Christ. James 4 verse 7. James 4 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Do you again see the emphasis upon human responsibility? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. People do not believe because... They are blinded by Satan. But they need not remain in that blinded condition. Because God graciously draws through his creation, through the conscience, through circumstances, and supremely through the gospel. God draws, but the responsibility is on man to respond to his drawing. The double-minded are those who sometimes think about God, but who carry on living for this world. Now, John and Andrew have responded to the gospel call. Behold the Lamb of God. They have drawn near to the Lord Jesus, and so he has drawn near to them. Come and see. What a day this would have been as these two disciples spend those precious hours in the presence of the creator of the world. Hanging on his every word as he explains the scriptures to them, unfolding to them God's purposes of salvation. Doubtless Andrew and John would have felt like those two disciples on the Emmaus Road as the risen Lord conversed with them. Luke 24, verse 32. Luke 24, 32. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts were on fire as the Lord Jesus explained the scriptures to them. And so the Lord here rewards Andrew and John's diligent seeking of him. And if people today would find God, 
They must diligently seek out Jesus Christ and learn of him. God is near. He graciously draws. He has done everything necessary to bring men into fellowship with him. But the non-believer for his part must do the seeking. He cannot remain passive. The responsibility lies upon him. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so whoever wants to find God must apply himself to the task with the utmost urgency and with the utmost effort and let all non-believers be encouraged by God's promise in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart Amen Amen